Hey there, freedom seekers. I'm Austin Peterson. Welcome to the AP for Liberty YouTube channel, your daily dose of truth and liberty. On this channel, we're all about waking up America and championing the values that make America great. As a former libertarian presidential candidate, freedom activist, and entrepreneur, I bring a unique perspective to the table. But this channel is not just about politics. It's about history, philosophy, and empowering individuals to embrace their freedom. Welcome to the Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. I absolutely appreciate it. Remember, the Father State is on locals.com. So click the link in the video description to support our work. Thank you all in advance. And for those who are already supported, thank you. I do appreciate it. I have with me Austin Peterson. He is a writer, political activist, commentator, and the host of Wake Up America new ca newscast. Austin, and, and his, Peterson, and his name is with an E-N, and in my name, Peterson, S-O-N. That's amazing. So you have, you have the white version of spelling Peterson, and I have the, the black version. Yeah, I'd be curious to find out how, like, a black person has the name Peterson. I wonder how that, like, what your ancestry is, because S-E-N is the Danish, and I think S-O-N was the Norwegian. So do you maybe have an ancestor somewhere from Norway? You know, somebody told me something like that before, but I never look into the ancestry stuff, so I'm not sure what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Danish, Denmark, yes, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, Danish, uh, three or four generations back. My family came over in the early 1900s and settled in the United States. And it was a good time to get out of Europe, the early 1900s, before World War One and World War Two. So the Petersons made a good move. Amazing. I do know that it is white, though. Whatever, however they spell my name, it is coming from white people. Because not mm -hmm. only am I white on the inside and black on the outside, <laughs> I have blue eyes. So something went somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Master race for sure, Jesse. Well, I'm a big fan and I'm grateful to be here today. Thank you. So you are a, are you a libertarian? Yeah, I consider myself a small L libertarian. And, you know, I've uh, been a libertarian presidential candidate in the past. I think that was probably the last time that you and I spoke. But uh, I joined the Republican Party in 2017 because I think that we probably are going to do better presenting a unified front against what the left has become, which is a threat to all of our liberties. You know, we can agree or disagree on certain social issues here or there, or the, the meaning of the Constitution or the importance of one religion over another. And the Republican Party will have a lot of different varying views on that. But we probably should all work together under the Republican Party to fight against totalitarian leftism. And you ran for you ran for president? In 2016, I ran as a libertarian for president of the United States, and I took second place in a crowded primary against uh, Gary Johnson, who became the eventual nominee. Uh, but uh, after that, um, you know, that that next year, I decided that I would probably be better off, you know, bringing my talents and uh, and my skills to the Republican Party, which I, I help uh, here in Missouri. Uh, with a lot of issues, I work on the state level here in Missouri to, you know, limit government, fight abortion, fight taxes, and, you know, um, do what I can to to fight for liberty here as a Republican. 
when you ran for president, did I read, um, I don't know if I heard it or read it, that you believe you would have won, beat out that guy, had not the great white hope Donald Trump supported him? Yeah. So the funny thing about that is, is my dad actually, as much as he loves me, he says, you know what, Austin, I'm really glad on some level that you didn't win the libertarian nomination because you're a much more friendly to conservative type of libertarian. And he said he's afraid that I might have siphoned off away more votes from Donald Trump that could have brought Hillary Clinton the election in 2016. And there is some some rumors that Roger Stone knew that as well and secretly tried to ensure that Gary Johnson was the nominee in 2016. But that's all that's all fun conspiracy theory and skullduggery in the past. Yeah. Do you support the Great White Hope now? Well, what, what do you call the Great White Hope? You don't know. Is that who Trump? The, you don't know who the Great White Hope is. What the? May I? Well, I tell you, I actually may I introduce if, you if, to the Great White Hope. And then I tweeted, <laughs> and I have many millions between Facebook and Twitter. It's great. It's like owning a newspaper without the losses. It's incredible. Meet the Great White Hope. <laughs> I voted for him. I voted for him. So I ran in 2016 because, you know, he had obviously he'd been a Democrat. He talked about socialized medicine and said a lot of things that you know, made me not believe that he would be a very uh, libertarian Republican. But then after I saw how he governed after a couple of years, I felt more comfortable voting for him. So I did. I voted for him in 2020. And right on. and I and because I saw how he had governed, because that's all I care about, Jesse. Yeah, I, I don't care. Too. I I don't care about somebody's personality. Yeah. I, I don't I don't like politicians most of the time, generally. <laughs> but if somebody does the right thing, even if it's a step, small step in the right direction, I think that's worthy of support. I totally agree, man. I absolutely agree. So you were with Ron Paul for a while. Yeah, I, I got my start in politics back in 2007. I was just a street activist for Ron Paul. And I ended up helping to raise, you know, almost six million dollars in a big money bomb. That was kind of the big Tea Party money bomb that kicked off the Tea Parties back in two thousand and eight, uh, and ended up working at Fox News a couple years later for Judge Andrew Napolitano, and uh, was still a big Ron Paul supporter. Helped Rand Paul as well um, as much as I could, and you know, I really started over the years. My views have evolved. I, I still believe in the same things policy wise, but in terms of the strategy for liberty, I definitely have changed my mind about what kind of, you know, how we can move these policies forward and what politicians may or may not be worthy of support. I used to be so hypercritical that, you know, you know, to the point of, you know, nobody could earn my support other than Ron Paul. But I think now, I see as I grow older that there are there we do need a bigger tent and that. People like Sarah Palin and others, you know, what small differences we have here or there, I should probably look at the bigger picture here. And I see a lot of people who are in the Republican Party who are working to do a lot of good, even if, again, I don't agree with them on a lot of things. And I vocalize that. And it definitely hurts my career as a, you know, a, a conservative libertarian pundit, you know, when you say things, you know, that disagree with what the majority of people on the right believe. But you know, I kind of see myself as, you know, the tortoise versus the hare approach. And, you know, I'm going slow and steady, building towards what I what I believe is right and truthful. And that's what I fight for. And, and Rand Paul is Ron Paul's son. Is that right? Yeah, he is. And, you know, the, the senator from Kentucky has I mean, I really think that he if you look at how he performed during COVID-19, 
I mean, look at Thomas Massey. Look at the the Libertarian Republicans. They were our saviors because the, if you saw any of the testimony or any of the questioning that Rand Paul did of Anthony Fauci during COVID nineteen, I mean, they were the best. They were the absolute best you in know, holding those those people accountable. And Rita asked about Rand Paul because Rand Paul gave a talk once a year in L.A. back back then, back in while back now. And he was running for something, I believe, at the time. And he was uh, he was trying to, he was agreeing with the blacks. And I don't remember exactly how the conversation went right now, but he was agreeing with the blacks like they were victims. And I got up and asked him why was he doing that. And he didn't like the question at all, so he wouldn't answer it. And that's when I realized he was a beta. <laughs> Well, certainly he uh, he got beat by Donald Trump, and I think a lot of it has to do with the energy that Donald Trump came uh, came at the country with in 2016. But you know what the truth is, Jesse, and, I, and pe people like me got to realize it. I, it. I don't know that it's so much as he's a beta, really, as much as he is a nerd, because it, it libertarians in the Republican Party make up a very small minority within the Republican Party. But we always we usually tend to be the eggheads. Right. We got our nose in a book or we've got some, you know, really obscure view on some issue that most people don't identify with it at some to some extent. So some people look at that and say, oh, well, he's a beta. And I don't know the situation that you're talking about there. Maybe he gave off that energy, but he certainly doesn't give that energy when he's, you know, ripping into Anthony Fauci and others. I mean, you kind of need a nerd. Sometimes you need a nerd to take on a nerd. But you know I, what I'm saying? I noticed that white people are not afraid to speak up to white people, but they're afraid of the blacks. Are you afraid? What's wrong with the blacks? Okay, well, can you blame them, Jesse? I mean, if you think about it, not, not everybody wants to lose their job. Not everybody wants to lose their business or, you know, their their place at church or their social circle. I mean. Uh, you know, people like you and I, right, we've we've placed ourselves out, you know, beyond, you know, beyond a, a place where we can sort of be touched because as political actors, you know, our views are widely understood. And, and I do think people should stand up and be more courageous in talking about racial issues. And certainly the racial animus between blacks and whites of this country is at a fever pitch. I didn't live through the 1960s or 70s, but I am told that that at that time that it was very comparable to what we face today. You know, we don't have the Vietnam War or anything like that. But it, to some extent, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse for cowardice, but I know the reason why a lot of people are afraid to speak up is because of the the amount of danger that exists now with the ability for someone for a tweet. Did you see the NASCAR driver who got suspended for liking a tweet about George Floyd? I remember something like that. Yeah, this was just last week. A NASCAR driver liked a tweet about George Floyd suspended yeah. by NASCAR. Now, this is somebody who's got a lot to lose, right? Millions of dollars, but still he'll probably be okay. Yeah. But most, I think, average citizens, Jesse, they don't, what they, what they have to lose, I mean, they're trying to take care of their families. So they don't wade into politics because the left has effectively weaponized everything against them. So more people don't speak out against with the problems that we have, the racial animus in this country, that's mostly coming from left-wing communists that have identity politics. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on identity politics in general, Jesse, because the left has pushed identity politics for years, 
But the right is now just starting to embrace it as well. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and I will respond, but what do you think is wrong with the blacks? What's wrong with the blacks? Well, I think that the public education system is probably number one. I think that it starts when they're when they're very young and uh, you know, there is a there is a separation, right, from us as as Americans that they're 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 taught to identify with their race before they identify with their nationality, right? Because we as Americans, we identify as I'm an American, right? Before I'm a white person, I don't think about my race. But I know that I think that the problem with uh, the African-American community, Jesse, is that they identify with their race or their tribe first before they identify with our ideals and principles as a nation state. So that's probably where a lot of the animus comes from, because they naturally are going to go into uh, a defensive mode for their race versus. So, so you think that they are so angry and violent and hating a white man because and blaming white people because they're uneducated? No, I wouldn't say uneducated. I would say miseducated. Oh. So my argument is, is that the public education system largely pours a version of American history into them that paints them as victims and puts them in a situation that says that you are uh, you are oppressed and they start them from there. Uh, and we've, we see this with critical race theory in schools now where you'll see people, young people will actually be told to rank themselves on a hierarchy of oppressed and how oppressed they are, whether they're an oppressor, and it's a miseducation there, not an not an not an uneducation, but a miseducation. And so, but you and I can see that, and that's right in what you're saying. But as adults and grown adults, individuals, why can't they see that for themselves? What's wrong with them, the black men and women, that they will not think for themselves? Well, they probably face the same fears in a, in a way that. You know, the what the how the left treats white people, right, and putting the knife to our throat, they do the same thing to the black community, Jesse, right? It, as soon as you step out of line or you say something that is to the right of Joseph Stalin, then the knife is to your neck, right? They'll call you an Uncle Tom, right? They'll they'll place you outside of the community. One of the greatest fears that any person has, Jesse, is to be a scapegoat and to be put outside of the community. We we feel that that's a visceral thing, biological. To be cast out of the community, that's that's back in the day in caveman days, that was a death sentence. If you were pushed out of the community, <laughs> you were probably going to die. So if you if you didn't have the community to rally together to keep you safe, then your life could be forfeit. So I think that there's probably something very innate, very biological that we feel from a fear of being cast out for the community. I think that's where a lot of the trans stuff comes from. It comes from a need to belong right? This social contagion that we're facing right now, because no one wants to be a part of the out group, Jesse. Amazing. And that's what I think it comes from. Do you have fear? Absolutely. You oh, yeah, absolutely. And how I do you know yeah. you have fear? Boy, that is a great question, Jesse. I don't really know how to tackle that off the, the top of my head. But how I know I have fear is, is I mean, it's visceral, right? It's uh, you feel this in, the way I would describe it is something as my heart, whenever I feel fear, my heart drops into my stomach, uh, my mouth gets dry, my throat, I can't speak. And, and I, I, I sort of quit. I don't know what to do. Right. So I know when I don't know what to say or do that, I, that I'm afraid, but you know, courage is not, not being afraid is not the absence of fear, right? Courage is being afraid, but going ahead and fighting anyway. 
So whenever I feel afraid, I always have to find a way to find my courage to muster up so that I know what I have to do next. But yeah, I absolutely feel fear. And how did you become a fear? How did that happen to you? What caused you to become a fear? Well, it depends on what the what like what I would be afraid of, Jesse. Like, could you maybe cite an example or two of something to be afraid of? Because I mean, I feel different fears of you know anxiety about making enough money, right? You know, making sure that my family is happy and supported. You know, f f the, you know, normal fears. Will I, you know, be able to be successful in my career or be be liked among my peers and remembered when I die? Right. I think those are kind of normal anxieties, right? If you if you will. And why do you call those normal fears? I mean, I guess it depends on, on what type of a person you are, but I've always considered myself a, a, a philosophical actor. So I, I, I like to think, you know, and this is kind of a conservative impulse, but I'm always thinking down the road, like, what is there that is to come? What challenges will I face? I'm, I'm not the type of person who tries to live necessarily in the moment. I'm always trying to think about what can I preserve and conserve so that I can, so that I don't have to feel anxiety or fear in the future. So I guess, you know, the source of my fears tends to be, you know, will I have done enough? Will I have saved enough in my 401k? Will I have enough guns and ammos when the, boo when the boogaloo comes, right? Will I have, you know, will I have been a good person all my life? So that, you know, when I visit the graves of my ancestors, I think about all the, the love that I have for them and all the great memories and the, the lives that they've led. And I think, you know, did they leave a legacy to me that, that, you know, makes me proud of them. So, you know, I guess part of my fear is, you know, will I kick off of this mortal coil without leaving a legacy that my that my lineage will look back and say, this was a man who did some things that made me proud. Really? And so why is that so important? I wish I knew, Jesse. I, I you know I really don't know, but I was actually thinking about it today when I was uh, when I was mowing. I was doing some lawn work and I was listening to some of the uh, classics because I've I've decided lately that I need to read a little bit more of um, you know, Aristotle and Plato and kind of brush up on my you know Western civilization. If I'm going to defend Western civilization, I better know what it is. So I'm uh, I'm re I'm listening to Nico McKeon ethics today and 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 I'm asking myself. Why do I want to be a good person, right? What are what are the virtues? How do, first of all, what does it mean to be virtuous, and how does one achieve virtue? And, and uh, you know, I got to be honest, Jesse, I, I'm just figuring out figuring out as I go along the best I can. But I don't always have the answers to those. Are the deep questions of the universe, and it's, I don't know that I have a good answer. And are you a good person? I think so. Yeah, I think I am, and, and I think that. You, it, you're not the best judge of yourself. If I could answer that right away, I would say yes. But I believe that if you were to speak to the people who know me, who surround me, who know me the absolute best, know my deepest, darkest secrets, I think they would answer that unequivocally yes, because I think you can judge a person by the quality of the people that they surround themselves with. My wife and I like to joke because we, we got married a couple of years ago, our second anniversary is coming up. And she uh, she was astounded when she got to meet all of my uh, groomsmen for my wedding because they were all such accomplished and 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 sincere and and brilliant men. And I and I told her I was like I like to surround myself by people that are smarter than me. I try and be the dumbest person in the room so that I'm always learning something. So I I guess if you were to do, to judge someone or judge yourself based on the company you keep, then yes, I think the answer to that is yes. And what's good about you? 
I think that I that I hold myself to a high standard, a moral standard, and that is a, a standard that you know I've built up over decades uh, of study, and you know I do uh, take a lot of um, inspiration from Christianity uh, of the golden rule, treating others the way that you want to be treated. I think that that's a very strong ethic. I think Jesus had a lot to say about Christian behavior and what that means in regards to how we actually behave and treat one another. And I, I find myself, when I have to make decisions, and there are always temptations, Jesse, as you as you know, to do the wrong thing with an immediate payoff, but I do the right thing when no one's looking, I think. is I think that's, the ex- that's kind of a good standard, is if no one is looking, do you do the right thing, right? If no one's looking over your shoulder, are you still going to do the right thing anyway? And that's probably one of the better metrics that I can... You know, measurable. And what is the right thing that you do when no one is looking? Right, don't steal. Right, don't lie. Don't cheat. <laughs> don't, uh, you know, follow the, the Ten Commandments, if you will. So you do those things when no one is looking, but when they are looking, you lie, cheat, and steal? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. No. Because <laughs> then, then there are real consequences. So if you see yourself as a good person, why don't you feel that way? Because inwardly, you don't feel like a good person. Well, there's always room for improvement, right? And and that was actually kind of part of the lesson that I was listening to today as I was uh, mowing the lawn. I had my headphones on, was talking about uh, how a- achieving virtue is not a is not a endpoint, right? It's a goal, but it's one that you never achieve. It's you're you're always constantly improving, and so in order for you to in order for you to be a good person, you have to be constantly attempting to achieve a higher moral virtue. So I don't think there really is a, ever an end point where you can say, okay, now I've done all of this, I am a good person. I do have a bucket list of things that I want to accomplish in my life, uh, but not all of those are necessarily tied to my morality or my ethics. But I think that it is it is a constant process that you have to continually improve yourself. And so constant self-improvement through exercise and diet and building a healthy community and, and you know having a healthy home and healthy relationships and trying to give back to your community, right? When life is good to you, giving back to your community, I think that you know those are decent measures as well. And where did, where did you get the idea that those would make you a good person? Well, one, I think it begins in the home, uh, right? I had a very good family and, you know, it's it's not actually that common anymore to have had a good family and to be raised well. I think that, you know, that first principles and morality and virtue and ethics are taught at home. And, and so why I hasn't was, it worked already if that's what it takes? Well, what do you mean? Because right now you you you, you see yourself as a good person, but inwardly you don't feel like a good person. So you have this conflict going on. If 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 it took doing something and doing those things you said, why hasn't it already worked? Well, because I don't think that it's like I said before, it's it's a goal, but it's never something that you really achieve. It's kind of like life is really about the journey, not the destination, really? if you will. So like good to me is sort of subjective in a sense. Why work on something that you can never achieve? Well, it's like uh that's a great question. Um uh, well, I, how can I put this in, in, a, in terms? It's, uh, I know that there are certain things that I'll never be able to accomplish, but I put them on my list anyway of things that I want to do because 
I like that. To me, I, I find something satisfying in taking steps towards a goal. And there's this, you know, there's a saying like, you know, shoot for the shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you, you know, you'll land on the moon or, you know, something like that. I think I'm saying that incorrectly. <laughs> but I like this idea of the, of the journey, right? What's happening along the way? That's the exciting part of life. So, you know, stopping and smelling the flowers along the way. So I, why do I do something that I don't know that I can ever accomplish you completely and entirely? Because this, you know that you would never achieve it. Why work on something that you know you're never going to achieve? What is the purpose? I guess because I just I've always been a bit of a swashbuckler, right? I like a, a spirit of adventure, right? N not everybody knew that when they set out on the uh, set out on the decks of a of a you know rigger rigger ship in the 1700s, they didn't always know if they were going to arrive at the destination that they began on. Columbus, you know, he thought that America was there. He had a suspicion that he was there, but he always knew that there was a chance that they might not make it. But I think that's that's that spirit of adventure, that pioneerism, and there's something in my blood. So it it sounds like you're saying you get the excitement for working by working on something that you're never going to achieve, but it's the excitement that makes you happy about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good example of it. Um, when you say that you prepare for down the road, you work on these things. You you know you get a house, you get a wife, you get kids. Where is down the road? Well, I like to think of, you know, the absolute end point being death, right? But, you know, with my mortal death and, um, you know, at that point in time, I'd love to be surrounded by my family and the, my loved ones and to know that I will have left a legacy for them and to have left them some money so that they can take care of themselves and not have to worry after I'm gone. And and that, you know, there will be generations of Petersons with SENs that come after <laughs> me that will live happy and full lives. So you're working on, when you say down the road, you're working to die. But before you die, you want to leave material things for your family. And that what you mean by working just, down the road? Material things and, you know, and a, and a positive leg legacy, a healthy mental state. I mean, if anything, my parents probably, the one thing that they left me, you know, with or more than money is just the the lessons that they taught me and the happiness that they gave me and those memories that that we had together that I think, you know, that I'll definitely take with me all the way to the end. What does it feel like to live a life without peace? You don't have perfect peace. What is it like to live that way for you? Oh, boy, you were asking the big questions today, Jesse. I don't know if I was ready for these. Um <laughs> I mean, there's always sort of a war with nature that that we engage that we have to live with, and this is something that our socialist brethren and communist brethren they they don't uh, brothers they don't understand because they think that they can suspend the laws of supply and demand and the laws of nature uh, through government and through force, and that you know they can bring about utopia on earth. But as you and I well know, all they can do is create hell on earth. They can't create heaven on earth. But the normal anxieties that we deal with on a daily basis, you know, having enough sustenance, making enough money, right? Having enough friends or, you know, there's a, a hierarchy of needs that every human has, right? At the bottom of those hierarchies are, are our base needs. And at the top of the pyramid of of the hierarchy needs of our, our you know, is self-actualization. And so, you know, the conflict, of course, that we all have to deal with, everybody has to deal with is meeting those basic needs so there's always a generalized anxiety or a fear or a, a um, conflict that every human will have to deal with 
that will require a certain level of pain or suffering for us or work or effort, you might call it, in order for us to meet all of those needs. And then to climb that pyramid to get to the very highest part where we can actually achieve this idea of self-actualization, that is, I mean, those are challenges that most people really can't deal with. They never really do achieve that the top of that self-actualization pyramid to go from fulfilling all their base needs. Because in between that, it's it's a mountain of conflict and strife and pain and suffering. But I always kind of considered myself a happy warrior, right? I, I, I like a scrap. Um, I'm not a bad fighter. I do martial arts and I, I kind of enjoy the tussle. So I kind of look at conflict and struggle and suffering that's coming my way as like a challenge and, and sort of a blessing in a way as a, as a test to be able to prove yourself. And so what does it feel like to live a life with no perfect peace, without perfect peace? What is that feeling on the inside for you? Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, Jesse, other than the fact that, I mean, I really am overall a very happy person. I think there's probably something chemically wrong with me or however I was made. I think, you know, God must have given me a little bit more dopamine because I'm very much a silver lining in the clouds type of a person. So even though I do have conflicts on a daily basis and I do have the same kind of stress and anxiety as anyone anyone else, I think probably more than others, I do a very good job of, in, you know, fighting that against that sort of uh, you know, the depression, right? Not that I don't feel it sometimes like anyone else or not that I don't feel, uh, you know, get down like others, like like anyone else does. But I think most of the time, I think I sustain a, a level of happiness that probably a lot of people don't. Um, um, but I don't always know why or how. I think, you know, probably a lot of this has to do with just the, you know, chemically how I'm built. But um, I, a lot of it has to do, I think, with how I'm raised because I... I feel conflict inside like anyone else, but I probably deal with it, tend to deal with it better than others. And so you know, you I, I didn't have any childhood describe, trauma. Are you able to describe the feelings of not having perfect peace inwardly? No, I, I don't know that I could describe you just, that, you Jesse. That's conflict a, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, fear and anxiety and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess I don't see that as as unnatural, do you? What is natural about having conflict? Well, so if you, you know, the natural world, you know, there's this concept called entropy, right? And this is the idea that there's always some pressure that's acting on us by nature to, uh, to, that requires us to put some kind of an effort in, right? Some kind of of a work input, right? You've got to, drink enough water for the day. You've got to get a little bit of exercise. You have to have some healthy food, right? Those are normal anxieties or pressures that that anybody feels. And of course, if you don't keep up with them, then entropy eventually will catch up with you. You'll starve to death. You'll die of dehydration and you won't feel, fulfill those basic needs. So, so you think you know, it's it, normal to have inner conflict? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's fairly normal. Do you? So if you think it's normal, why do you try to resolve it? Why not just live with it if it's normal? Well, if it's hunger uh, or if it's thirst, then, of course, it's a biological imperative. But if it's normal to have inner conflict, why do you try to resolve it? Why not just accept it as a norm and do nothing about it? Well, if it's a biological imperative, then I would say the, the answer to that is because I don't want to die. Uh, but but for the other... Mm-hmm. 
what are we talking about? The, the conflict that you have due to the lack of uh, perfect peace. You, you say it's normal to have all that going on inside? I think so. I think most people face some some level of inner conflict. You know, are, am I doing the right thing? Should I be making, you know, this decision for my life? You know, do I, you know, should I be, you know, should I find a, a good person to marry? Should I, you know, should I stay single? Should I take this job? Should I not take the that job, right? What paths anyone could take on a daily basis? Because we all have choices. Everybody has choices to make on a daily basis. And not making a choice is making a choice because you're making a choice not to make a choice. So I th those are the kinds of conflicts that I feel prevent people from feeling the kind of perfect peace that you might feel in a utopia or a heaven. But you've done all those things. You, you got married, you're educated, you ran for politics, you got an amazing home, you're working, you know, but have you noticed that has not brought peace? Not really. <laughs> if I'm being honest, not not really. Actually, I I don't really I don't really think about that to be quite honest because I I live in almost a perpetual state of joy. You might say ecstasy. Well, is peace and joy the same? They can be, but not always. But joy passes away. Peace is everlasting. It never passes away. I certainly hope that that is true. And you have to work at joy, but you don't have to work at peace. That's a good one. Perhaps, unless someone's in a state of war with you, then you might have to work at peace. But And why? Well, in order to bring yourself to a state of resolve, you know, if someone is bringing conflict into your life, then that's going to require some, that's going to, that's entropy. Right there is a perfect example. <laughs> it's going to require some input. But would a person of peace allow anyone to bring conflict into their world? Well, not everything is always under our control on the earthly plane. Of course, you know, like people what? can bring well, people can bring conflict into your lives without uh, any input on on your part, just for the fact that you exist and happen to live in a geographic area, right? So you know, take any conflict. You know, if you if you lived in the you know, in the 1860s here in the United States, and you have you just happened to live in Atlanta, Georgia. Even if you had nothing to do with the Civil War whatsoever, you know they're they're still going to come, and Sherman's still going to come through and, and burn your house. But why would a person of peace allow someone to bring evil conflict into their life? You're in control of your own world. Why would you allow someone to come in and bring conflict? Well, that's a good question. And, and I think that comes back to what the choices are that any individual makes. So, I mean, would the right decision have been to foresee that evil coming into your into your territory, your house or to to your city and to flee before something like that happens? Probably. Have right. But I don't, not everybody. Choice? Right. Not everybody has that, that level of foresight. Have you ever made a choice? A choice? Yes. Yes, I have. And what caused you to make the choices that you made? Well, so, so at some level of intuition and education. Amazing. Uh, do you believe racism exists? As a concept, yes, I think it does exist. Do you believe racism exists? Yes. And do you have any proof of that? Well, um... Yes, uh, you can see it in the way that people talk to one another, behave towards one another. You can look at history and read history books in the past and see how people have 
treated one another, laws that have been passed. It's it's kind of like the concept of justice, isn't it? So if we're going to talk about the idea of justice, I can't show you justice, but I can speak to you about the concept of justice. So these operate example. sort of in the same ideas. I'm black and slow. So give me the <laughs> give me an example of racism existing. Uh, well, can we just go to the big one? Can we just say slavery? You say that that's racism? I would say that, yes, being able to enslave someone based on their genealogical heritage would be a form of racism. How is that? Well, uh, I guess the answer to that is is probably a lot longer than I could do in a whole hour and a half. But if I had to summate something yeah, summate like that, how, I would see it. How is slave enslaving someone racism? So racism is a prejudice, right? So it's, you know, an antagonism against someone based on immutable characteristics, right? So it, it can be done by a, an individual, an institution, or, you know, against a person on, you know, their particular racial or their ethnic group. So, you know, if there's a law that says that you're allowed to enslave someone based on their immutable characteristics, specifically their ethnicity, then I would say that that would be an example of a racist policy or racism. Really? Can one white person be a racist toward another white person? You know, that's that's a good question. <laughs> Honestly, I, the answer to that re relies on whether or not you think white people are sort of a monolith, which they're we're really not. Um, I was asking a, an Italian friend of mine yesterday if he considers himself to be white, and my answer to that would have been yes, but his answer to that was no. So if you're talking about it, when you're talking about a question like that, it really just depends on the white person, I guess. So could a white person or white people be racist toward white people? Yeah, I don't really, I don't know the answer to that. I honestly, I don't have a good answer for that. But white people have enslaved other white people. Were they being racist? Well, in that sense, it would probably not fit the dictionary definition of racism if you're talking about like indentured servitude with irish then that would be you know considered something that would just be plain old slavery it's but but not racism it would not fit the technical definition from what i understand but i could be wrong and so are you saying that would not be considered racism when white people enslave other whites that's not racism Depends on the white person, but I don't think so. But you said the definition and example of racism is enslavement of another person. Why wouldn't that be racism? Because it's not because of an immutable characteristic. It was so like, you know, for example, in the Bible, like there's lots of examples of slavery, like the Jews held slaves, the Palestinians had slaves, the Philistines, right? They, would, they all had slaves, they, but they, when racism? they would enslave others, they didn't, they didn't enslave them based on necessarily on their race. They would sometimes enslave someone based on their culture or just their tribe, for example. So, so that wouldn't people, necessarily be racism. So when white people enslaved blacks, was that racism? I think it was, yeah. Really? When black people enslaved black people, was that racism? Well, like, I think I'll have to answer the same way I did when, when you asked with whites with whites. So the answer is, I don't know. Really? Um, that's amazing. Do you love white I mean, people? I don't know. I don't know everything. Do you love white people? <laughs> What's that? Do you love white people? 
I, I really try not to look at people in groups, right? Collective. There's a lot of white people I don't like. <laughs> so I really try and look at people as individuals, right? I, I try and judge people based on their individual characteristics. I, I very much am a big believer in the, the ideas of Ayn Rand, where she really saw, you know, racism as a form of collectivism. And uh, I, I consider myself to be highly individualistic. So I, I think we all have tribal impulses and we all have um, a, a natural sort of desire. We want to make things, we want to make complicated things simple. Most people do. And do you love, and, and white, that's do you love white people? It depends on the white person. Do you love white people? Uh, collectively, I don't really, I don't really look at things that way, Jesse. Do you love white people? It depends on the white person. Do you love white people? Uh, it it just depends. It depends on who you're asking about, Jesse. Uh, do you do you I love don't white people? Well, do you? I do. How about you? <laughs> okay. Uh, it well, Michael Moore. The answer is no. Um, you know, Joe Biden, absolutely not. Do you no, love white but, people? It just depends on the white person. That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and do you love black people? It depends on the black person. I, I love my my black neighbors that I grew up with and were my close friends, and that we you know we spend time together at our family gatherings. You know, Alonzo and Vashon. And... Do you love black people? I mean, I love I love humanity, right? I guess I, you could say I love the human race. Like in total, like being a pro life person. I believe that all life has value, right? But some people make themselves more valuable than others based on their behaviors or actions. And that's when things get complicated. And I try and look at people as individuals before I put them in a group. But if I look at people collectively as a whole, I try and look at the human race in total and try not to fall into an identity politics view of things because I think you start, you make big mistakes. You know, when you have stereotypes, you know, you're going to, paint with too broad a brush and you get yourself in trouble. And, and so do you love black people? It just depends on the black person, Jesse. <laughs> um, are you a Christian? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think if, if you mean it in terms of was I saved by Jesus Christ as a young person, did I accept him as my Lord and Savior when I was a young man? The answer to that question is yes. Now, depending on how you define Christianity today because there's so many different versions of Christianity and all claim to be the the total one. The the tradition I was raised in was Southern Baptist, right? They they have a definition of what a Christian is, and that's the definition of Christian to them. But uh, I don't know what, what version of Christianity or what, um, what sect you come from, but everybody sort of has a different definition of that. And, and are you a Christian? So if if you're asking me if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior as a young man, then the answer to that is yes. And are you a Christian? I am not a practice. I, I don't practice religion or go to church or consider myself to be a Christian as most people consider it to be, but I do follow the teachings of Christ to a large extent, yes. And are you a Christian? Uh, it just, the, the answer to that question is if you, if by your own standards, if I were to guess, and I don't know what they are, I would probably say no, but by some people's standards, the answer is yes. It just depends on who you ask. Are you a Christian? I would say no. <laughs> wow. 
Well, I had to go all around the world to get no. What the? Why didn't you just go right to no? Why were you him and hard and carrying on? Why not just well, because say of, no? Because when again, I, first I think asked, that when I asked, I don't like because I don't like to oversimplify. I don't like to oversimplify complicated things. Why not? Because I I think that some things deserve an explanation and deserve a conversation. I, I it's like when people uh, ask you, oh, you have to answer this question, yes or no. You have to answer this question, yes or no. It's but like I just asked no, I don't. I, I can answer. You I can. I I'm not ask. on trial. I'm not on trial here, right? I, I'm not. I don't have to. I haven't sworn an oath. I'm. I'm allowed to have my thoughts and to to speak as I wish. Of course, you are. And I just ask: Are you a Christian? Why aren't you a Christian? That's a long question. Um, but I think sure. the okay. The 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 short answer to that is is because I no longer believe in like any concept of the supernatural, right? So I don't believe in like mysticism or or mythology or you know claims of and I, I believe all claims of the supernatural are likely to be false but i don't i'm not an atheist because i can't prove that there is no um higher power i, I consider myself to be what you call an agnostic which means that i'm searching for the answers and when i find them i'll let you know so your parents were christians right it sounds like you grew up a christian and That's correct. At what age did you decide that you were no longer going to be a Christian? Uh, Eighteen years old. And what made you make that decision? Well, I started to read some of uh, Epicurus, and he talks about these. Uh, he, he had a riddle, which uh, he, you know asked the question about the concept of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. And at the end of the riddle, if you can answer it without you have to answer the the question without answering free will. And so because I think that there's not a good answer to the Epicurean riddle, um, I, I arrived at a position of agnosticism because I reasoned myself into that position. Really? And what, the, so you believe, if I'm right, and I'm not sure, you believe there is a God, you just don't believe in him. I think there there could be, there might be, but I the truth is is that I don't know the answer to that question. I'm searching for the answers to that question, and I'm open to my mind being changed about the answer to that question. And I mean, truly, I think I hope that there is um, uh, an afterlife in the way that it was described to me as a young person. But the truth is, is that I don't know. I um, I saw an interview with you on Glenn Beck show, and you mentioned that you had lost your faith after a pharmaceutist uh, pharmacist diluted your mother's chemotherapy medication. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, there Did was a doctor in... Yes. Go ahead. Uh, there was a doctor in uh, Kansas City by the name of Robert Courtney. He sits in federal prison who uh, diluted thousands of patients' chemotherapy drugs, and my mother was the recipient of one of those. And it was, you know, that was the start of my curiosity of the question of this kind of this paradox of, you know, where does evil come from? And so at that point in time, you know, after my mother passed away, because of course she was such, a, she was a very God-fearing woman and very uh, loving woman who, you know, never committed a crime, never harmed anyone. You know, I, you start to ask the questions I think anybody would ask, Jesse, which is, you know, uh, you know, why would God, you know, an all-loving God punish 
his good and faithful servants, right? The, the most, especially someone who, you know, loved and served him more than anything. So that was the first, you know, contact with the question of where evil comes from, right? If there's an all-knowing, all-loving God, and that is the Epicurean paradox. So if it's something that some man did, some pharmaceutist did, deal, doctor, whatever, why would you question God about something that some human being did? Because in a world where God exists, that doesn't make sense, right? But in a world where God doesn't exist, it makes perfect sense. There's going to be there's going to be people who are going to behave in a way that are that's greedy. He was lining his pockets. You know, he was taking the money that he was saving from these chemotherapy drugs. It's very God, expensive treatments. Why would it have anything to do with God? Well, see, it doesn't, right? See, in my worldview, there probably is no God. So if there is a God, then there's more questions because why would God, you know, allow something like this to happen? Why would he allow it to happen to one of his most uh, painful servants? Well, the world not? doesn't make it doesn't make sense not in a world. What's that again? Why not allow it to happen? See, and that's the thing is it doesn't make sense if there if we live in a world where there is a higher power who is all knowing and all powerful. So the question is is you know which worldview makes more sense, and it makes much more sense in a world where no you know it's there's nobody who's pulling the strings. There's no, you know, God or Satan who are playing us against one another. There's no gods, there's no kings, there's only man. The, 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 the behaviors of humans, in my mind, make more sense that way, rather than to try and place some kind of a supernatural imperative on top of them, in which case it's completely subjective and anyone can just say, well, this is why God did that, or this is why God didn't do that. But if you understand the nature of man, then this evil that this man committed is a natural consequence of the of the greed that exists in parts of humanity. Do you so believe that it your, made more sense? Do you believe that your mother was a good woman? Absolutely. Yeah. And what was good about her? Her love, her kindness, her respect, um, her sacrifice. Uh, that she made for us in many ways, right? For at her own, you know, her, her unselfishness, and for example. And why do you call those things good? Well, so how I arrive at a concept of morality and ethics without an underlying faith-based worldview is I use ethics. Uh, and the way that I arrive at what I find to be a positive, virtuous, and moral worldview is I use this concept called triangulation. It's kind of like how sailors used to sail on a boat from, you know, from Spain to the United but States, and how they would do that is... Let me know, I have a tire running out. Why do you call those things good, what she did? She was supposed to take care of you, she was your mother. Why right. do you call those things good? Right, because I think that, well, my definition of that is that that which is good is that which contributes to human flourishing and to the contribution of human life. So to me, you know, knowing that she contributed to our flourishing and built positive community and was a loving mother, I think that that those are probably the qualities that you could assign to good as much as anything else. Was your father good as well? Absolutely, he still is. Amazing. And so, did you forgive your mother before she expired? For what? For the mistakes and the little traumas she did to you while living. 
Did you forgive well, her sure. for that? Oh, well, yeah. And, and I, I mean, again, I lived a, you know, other than her passage, you know, I lived a very trauma-free childhood. We were very loved and, and taken care of as children. So did you forgive her for the things she did wrong before she aspired? Sure. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you told it, her that there was it was so it was. Oh, yeah. But you told your I was mother 14 you years old her for the things she did. Yeah, but I was 14 years old. So like those concepts were still very you know up in the air to me. I didn't quite have as a strong a grasp on those concepts as I do now. It's but you told her before she aspired that you forgive her for what she did to you. I wouldn't say I said that exactly for sure, but I let her know how much I loved her and cared for her. Well, and I think that's what matters. Her, if you didn't forgive her, how did you forgive her? Well, what what would I need to forgive her for exactly? For those little things you say you forgave her for. So I would say probably not. You know, I was just, I was a very young man, like just barely not a child. So I would say probably not, so you at least not in the way that you're trying to define it. So you did not forgive her? Well, at least not with my words. Like, I probably didn't say, you know, I forgive you for not letting me stay up late to do, you say You, you did know, not God say knows it, what. or you probably didn't say it? I can't, I honestly can't remember. It's been so long ago, Jesse. Are you surprised that you married a woman that's just like your mother? No, actually, I feel very lucky. Really? <laughs> to know that. <laughs> yes. So you like being married to a woman who is like your mother? Yes. Really? And how do you feel knowing that she resent you because she, you're, you're like a boy, you're like a child with her? She, what do you mean? Like, she know that you believe, you know, you like being married to your mother. How do you, how do you feel knowing she doesn't like being your mama? Well, I'm not sure what you're, I mean, how do you know what she thinks? I mean, you're kind of, it's almost like you're kind of putting words in somebody's mouth, but right. I, maybe I'm just not understanding the question. Do you like the fact that she know that you like the fact that you're married to your mother? Do you know she doesn't like that or does she like knowing that you married your mama? Could you rephrase it? Because I'm just a little confused by the wording. You said you're happy that you married a woman that's just like your mama, right? And that she loves me and takes care of me and is, you know, is my best friend in a way. Sure. Yeah. And so is she happy that you're happy that you married a woman that liked your mama? I really don't know how to answer that. Does I guess you'd have to ask her. Does she know that you know that you know she's just like your mama? Is she aware of that? Your wife know that you married uh, your mama? To a certain extent, right? It's really hard to explain a concept like that to your loved one. So why is it hard to say, you know what? You just like my mama. <laughs> you know us guys us men aren't always the best at expressing our feelings jesse what do you think will happen if you told your wife you just like my mama oh well, i think she'd be happy to be your mama well to that's you know that she, i remind her of that yes really sure <laughs> um do you have anger Sure. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I think I, you know, I think and some and it should be a righteous anger. I think that any any man who sees the injustices of the world and sees a massive, you know, government and, you know, attempts to subvert our American Republic and our Constitution and our liberties. I think that, you know, that there is a righteous anger in that. So you feel that is normal for a man to be angry? Yes, really? Is there love in anger? 
Sure. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, there can be. Really? And what does that feel like? The love of anger, what does that feel like? Well, it's to look and say, this is someone who has perhaps wronged me, but that my love for them sort of supersedes that anger. How do you deal with the hell in your wife when it comes out? You know, you wake up in the morning, you're all happy, and she's ticked about nothing. How do you deal with that hell in her? <laughs> I've only been married for two years, so it's kind of, we're still in the honeymoon phase. I haven't really experienced that yet, Jesse. Can I, maybe I'll check back on you here in a year. <laughs> so you haven't done anything to take her off yet? Um, she's here with me right now watching and listening to this interview. I'm sure she'll have some really good questions for me soon. But <laughs> Stephanie, has, is there anything that I've done that's really ticked you off since we've been married in the last two years? Anything that really ticked you off? No? No? You put words in her mouth. She always expresses herself. She's a social worker and a therapist. So she, you if she, we, we resolve our conflicts. Whenever there's something that's a problem, we take care of it right away. So, so have it doesn't you build up. you off since married to her? No. You never ticked her off? No. So your wife has never gotten angry at you in, t in, in two years of being married? Nope. Really? Yeah. Does she have anger? Not really. She doesn't really have an. She doesn't have any of that kind of stuff in her. She's basically like sunshine and rainbows and you know. She's a unicorn, Jesse. Not so gonna your lie. Your wife has no anger. I don't really see any in her at all, honestly. Really? So you have <laughs> anger, but your wife don't. So she a better man than you? <laughs> uh, well, maybe she's a she's a better person than I am for sure. Would she like to come on to? To the screen there for a minute. Stephanie, do you want to step over here real quick and say hi to Jesse? She's my lovely, sweet uh, Steph. This is Stephanie, and we've been married for two years now. And she'll tell you, just hold on, let me pull up the screen so you can see Jesse right there. Say, I haven't really made myself over good enough. For there we go. Oh, Look, he's guys. right up there. Hey, so Stephanie. Hi. Yeah, you can, you? you can talk to him there. Oh, I can't hear him. Uh, you can't hear him. Here you go. Oh, okay. Put the headset on. There you go, so you can All hear him. Right. How are you? Hello, I feel like we've entered a therapy session. I know. <laughs> what is it like being married to a man that you are a better man than he is? That I'm better than he is? Yes. You're a better man than your husband. What does that feel like? Um, I guess I want to lift him up even more. Really? I want to help him be better. And how can you help him be a better man? Walk the walk and talk the talk. That's what I do. Is it working? I think so. Is it he's he's starting to to diet actually. Just just today he's starting back on his diet, and I said, you know what? I already eat healthy. You know, I'm going to set good examples for you. I'm going to make it easier for you. Really? And so, yeah. How 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 do you deal with the hell that's in him? How do I deal with the hell that is in him? Yes. You mean just like. Uh, issues that he might be facing? Right. His overreaction, his emotion, he's angry. How do you deal with that? Since he can't help you with yours, how do you deal with that in him? I stay very calm. Um, I am a social worker myself, so I've I've done a lot of introspection work on myself. Um, but I would say if I do see him getting overwhelmed, I just stay calm. You, and and I just say, what do you need from me? Is there something I can do to help you? Really? Did you know yeah. he, you you have to be the man before you married him? 
Did I know I would have to be the man before I married him? Yes. I don't I don't think so because I looked up to him so much. I mean, he ran for president of the United States. So before I actually got to know him in a romantic way, I more so knew him as a political figure. So I think I got to know him, you know, more so in the public eye rather than personally. And so once you married him, were you disappointed to find out he wasn't a man you thought he was? I wasn't disappointed, but I think there was an adjustment in terms of getting to know him all over again. So were you like, what the? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think there were points where I was shocked or surprised, you know, where I'm like, wait. The president you is not the same as the personal you. You actually, you know, don't don't give speeches in your daily life while you're sitting on your couch. You know, instead, you actually do normal <laughs> things like normal people. So I think there was a period, you know, where I did have to separate the president him from the real him, and, and which is probably hard for anybody who marries somebody who is in the public spotlight. Especially for a woman, when she marry a man who, who act like a man, even to speak when you married him, he's not that same person. How do, so do you, how do you avoid getting angry at him when he acts in that way? How do I avoid getting angry at Does him? Does that make you angry acts- sometimes when he acts? angry and overreactionary and stuff like that? I don't think it makes me angry, no. It irritates Um, you? No, I think it's, it goes back to like my background and who I'm used to, you know, being around in terms of my family environment. Yes. So I'm used to being in a family where people don't always express their emotions in a calm way. So I'm just used to that. And as a social worker, I'm used to that. Do you love being married to an emotional man? I really like a man who shows emotion. Yes. I mean, I always tell Austin, I actually enjoy when he sheds a tear. Really? Because in in all of my (laughs) past um, experiences with male figures, like my father, you know, any past relationship I've had, I haven't seen the man shed a tear. Wow. Like the men I have known have almost been unable to cry. And so the fact that he is able to shed tears. That's amazing. And and actually talk about his emotions. I mean, that is, that's really cool for me. I bet. And how does he deal with the hell that's in you? How does he deal with the hell that is in me? Yes. Well, I mean, I do have hell in me as well. I mean, I, (laughs) you know, although I am you know, a perfectionist outwardly, um, I struggle with anxiety. I mean, I am my worst critic. So the way that he handles that, sometimes he may not have as much patience as what my anxiety needs. And he knows that and he admits that. But he says, you know, he's working on it. And I see that. Is that disappointing knowing that you can't rely on your husband to help you deal with that? It's disappointing that I can't rely on him to help me do that. No, because I really can. I mean, he may not give me the type of reaction that I'm looking for. And what are you looking but he for? Does, I think I'm so used to people just holding my hand and being like, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid of those things. 
You don't have to do something that makes you afraid. Whereas Austin, he literally pushes me and empowers me to do the things that I'm afraid of, which is probably what I need, but not necessarily what I want when I'm having an anxious reaction. Do you want to overcome your anger? You want to overcome your hell? Do I want to overcome my anger and my hell? Well, yes, it has been a lifelong battle. And even knowing every therapy technique, you know, everything I've ever learned or researched, it's still hard to fix yourself. And it's a constant thing. Every single day you have to practice. May I tell you how to overcome your hell today? How do I overcome my hell today? Go and forgive your mother. Your mother has recreated you in her image. You're just like her. Yes. Why don't yes, you- that is very true. My mom and I, we we lived together up until I actually moved in with Austin. So, yeah, my mom and I, we have a very deep, deep relationship. Go and forgive your mothers because she has recreated you in her image. Forgive yeah. her. You don't need her to apologize, to admit it or anything, but forgive her and God will forgive you. And he would take her identity away from you and give you peace and you'll be fine. Wow. So if I if I just say, uh, I guess, forgive her for the qualities she instilled in me. Imposing is that what you're her saying? will on you yeah. and turning you away from your father. She caused you to resent her. And that resentment has separated you from God. And that's why you have a conflict. But once you forgive, hey, mother, I'm sorry for resenting you. I really, you know how you can't help yourself, but act down and have this fear and all that. Yeah. She can't help herself. Her mother did it to her. And so, but. Oh, yeah. But it, it's generational trauma. That's what I call it. But when you forgive her, God will forgive you. Don't ask for forgiveness. Mother, I'm yeah. sorry for resenting you because she can't help herself just like you can't help yourself and your husband yeah. can't help himself. When you say, Mother, I'm sorry for resenting you, God will forgive you, and he would take her Mm -hmm. spirit away. But don't ask ever ask for forgiveness. You you apologize for resenting them because they couldn't help themselves. They did the best they could. And then you Mm -hmm. would no longer have hell in you. Yeah. You would have I I really believe in the power of forgiveness. I I mean, I I definitely I agree with what you're saying. And I think why haven't you forgiven her then? I think my mom I have. It's it's my dad I haven't forgiven. <laughs> have you told have you told your mother you've forgiven her? I don't think so, but then I think myself internally I have. Her? Why have you told her? Um I don't know. I I guess I guess I just never thought to to tell her Why outwardly. Not? I just thought to continue a positive relationship but you don't have a positive forgiven inside you don't have a positive relationship with her you have a fearful relationship with her i used to it's getting better you can't be honest with her now (laughs) unless you're angry right that's true yeah just being but it's like is there a point where it's okay to set boundaries with a parent in terms of how much you disclose of your internal thoughts when you forgive her for what she's done to you the boundary will automatically be set for you by God. Ah, and no one yeah. will cross those boundary. But until you forgive her, Satan will continue to be your daddy. Yeah, that is true. So do you want Satan to be your God or God to be your God? I think God 
Sounds nicer to me. Well, go and forgive your mother and have no expectation. You're going to shake in your boots, but it'll be the last yeah. time you ever shake. Yeah, vulnerable conversations are definitely terrifying. That is for sure. Only because you resent her. Whomever you resent controls you. Yes. Yeah. Will you go and forgive her? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I can I can say after the session, I, I honestly can't. We talk all the time. So I, I can tell her, is it okay if I told her that you and I talked about it? That's fine. Okay. But you got to face yep. her. She's not going to like it because she's on an ego trip and she won't like yeah. it. But that's all her. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. I guess I just have to decide what I'm forgiving her for exactly. For recreating your, your, and her image and turning you mm. away from your father. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She and I, yeah, we're very tight. That is you, very true. You just yeah. like your mama, and you don't want to be like your mama. I don't want to be <laughs> just like my mama. There but are you, some good qualities, but not a hundred percent like her. <laughs> real fast, because of time, give me one good quality about your mama. Oh my gosh, she will give you the last piece of bread on her plate. And you know why? She is. Always kind. You know why she does that? Um, she's she's a people pleaser. You know why that is? Because of how she was raised. Yeah, and she tried to make people think she's good so they can treat her the same way to make her feel good. She gave you the last piece on the plate, but it's not because for you, it's to make her feel good about her own weakness. Ah, so... How can you separate that if somebody is doing good? Like, for example, if I'm doing good and giving to my community, is it because I want to get a benefit 100%. from it mostly? And that's why okay. it's not doing good. It's all ego. You're doing that so people can see you in the same way, so you can get yeah. a false good feeling about yourself. And still, it doesn't stay. It doesn't last. So then how do you just give because you want to give rather than for your ego? How would you do that? By forgiving your mother and God will destroy the nature of the devil, which is your ego. And you'll be able to give in the right way at the right time. So I'll still be giving, but it'll just be with different intention, it, you mean? It will be with no ego expectation at all. Okay. That's really cool. <laughs> I kind of like that. But you got to forgive your mother so you so God can forgive you and he would change your heart from ego, anger, anger to perfect love. And you have perfect peace on earth. That does sound very nice. I would like that. And forgive your father for not protecting you from your mother. He was married to his mother. He couldn't help it. He was afraid of your mother. Yeah. Oh, he was afraid of my mother. You're right. I rest my case. Because are he, you are you a psychic? <laughs> you know so much. You don't even know anything about me, but you're like totally reading my family. Uh, and because, uh, uh, no, I'm not a psychic, but I do understand human nature. And you do. But, and, and unless you love your father by meaning don't resent him, you're never going to be able to love God. So you can't love, yeah. you can't hate your earthly father. And think you're going to love God because men represent the sons of God. So you got to forgive yeah. him for not protecting you from your mother. He couldn't help it. He was married to his yeah. mother. He loved you. He just didn't know yeah. how to deal with her. Right. But shouldn't he have been the bigger man? Talking about that bigger man, right? Right. But he couldn't help it because he had become like his mother. 
He resented yeah. her, so he became so, just like your husband and just like his mama. And, and so, my husband is just like my dad's mom. You're saying no, like or, his, oh, oh, he's he's like, like his mother, right? You end up doing okay. you end up doing the same thing your mother did. You married the same yeah. type of man that your father is because you became attracted to what you hate. Yeah, I do know that people do tend to marry people that have similar characteristics to their parental figures. So, yeah, that definitely does make sense. You are married to your mama. I'm married to my mama. Sometimes I do tell him I, that he does remind me of my mom in ways. Yeah, <laughs> with his more assertive personality. That is true. I rest my case. And he needs to, yes. need to forgive his mother and father so he can overcome that as well. But go and forgive your mother. You're going to shake in your boot. And don't have any expectation from how she's going to act or what she's going to feel. She could not help herself, right? Just say, hey, I'm yeah. sorry for resenting you. I become like you. I don't want to be like you. And God mm -hmm. will forgive you and forgive your father for not protecting you from her. He couldn't help himself. He ended up marrying a woman he hated as well, his mother. And you will go yeah. free. And that way you don't pass that anger on to your children and your husband. I do not want to pass on that trauma to my family. Do you no. have children? No, not yet, but we're hoping to start a family very soon. Well, go and do it before you make a baby. So do it tonight. So, you know, in case y'all have sex tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, no no fun time until apologies happen. Nice. Okay. That's right. It's good talking to you. What's your first name? Oh, I'm Stephanie. Good. So nice to meet you. All right. Would you let me know how it goes when you deal with your mother? Absolutely. Right. I will. All right. Good talking to you. And forgive, good talking your, to you. forgive your husband, too. He cannot help it. His mother nature is controlling him as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm much better at forgiving him than forgiving my my family of origin, I would say. Yeah, well, face your mother yeah. and you would not res resentment would disappear and you're going to deal with everybody in the same way with perfect love. Yeah. That'll be great. Thank you so much. Do you want me to yes. hand it back over to Austin? All righty. Yes. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks, sweetie. Yep. Amazing, Austin. Didn't I get lucky? Yeah. She found out she's married to her mama. <laughs> Very assertive, yes. <laughs> so listen, I got to put you on the hot seat real fast because we're like way over right now. I need you to okay. answer these questions as quickly as possible. Got it. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> True or false, abortion is worse than slavery. True. Is America the best country on this side of heaven? Hell yes. What is a man? Man is the opposite of a woman. He has either XX or XY chromosomes. I'm not sure which, but it's definitely the opposite of a female. Do educated women make for good wives and good mothers? I don't know. Probably not. Do we need more white babies? Yes. Have you ever told anyone how the cow ate the cabbage? A what? <laughs> Have you ever told anyone how the cow ate the cabbage? No. Is the earth flat or round? Round. True or false, real men make boys first. Say it again. True or false, 
uh, real man make boys first. Yes, true. Is the climate change real? It's a communist plot to take over the world and institute a one-world government uh, with a global taxation scheme. Does a chicken have lips? No. Have you ever seen a ghost? No. Should we ever give blacks reparations? No. Did you have fun? I had a, a, a great time. Sorry. <laughs> I have to beat that up. I had a good time. I like being put on my uh, on my toes. Uh, you're the toughest interviewer I've ever had, Jesse, and definitely the best. So thank you. You're welcome, man. Tell the folks how to get to your social media site and whatever you want to put out there. Yeah, I'm AP for Liberty on every social network. AP, the number four. The Wake Up America show is my show every Monday through Friday, stream live from YouTube and Rumble. AP for Liberty on those as well. But my big thing right now, Jesse, I'd love people to uh, find out more about is the AP for Liberty shop is my website where we have a new uh, coffee brand based on the founding fathers. Too many people, Jesse, are drinking woke coffee and these woke corporations are taking our money and they're using it to fund Black Lives Matter and to fund Antifa and all these groups that stand against our values. So if you got a coffee drinker who listens to this show who wants to try a really delicious premium blend, and then we that money goes to me and my wife, and we use that to spread the message of liberty, then they should check out our Founding Flavors Coffee at apforlibertyshop.com. Have you heard of Libertarian Party of New Hampshire on Twitter? I have heard of them. Apparently, they're getting in trouble for being pro-white. <laughs> yeah, they're... Uh, they're I know some of those guys, and they love to stir up trouble. Yeah, they're they're troublemakers. Are you pro-white? Yeah. Uh, nice. Well, thank you so much, Austin, for coming on. It was amazing. And uh, I, we'll have you back again. I absolutely appreciate it. And, yeah, and I hope. Thank you, Jesse. I hope I get to meet you in person, man. You're doing a great job out there. And my wife and I, we love watching your videos. So keep it up. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget that the Father's Day is on locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. Check out our merch. Like, follow, and subscribe, and do all those things. Y'all know what to do. And let me hear from you. Thank you again. And thank you, Austin. That was amazing. Thank you, Jesse. All right, buddy. Amazing.